You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Whole bunch to do on this Friday edition. So let's roll 1-800-919-ESPN, of course, the phone number. I'm on Twitter, at Gordon Damer, on Instagram, at the same. Uh, and the Daily Poll question, that's up on Twitter. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But, of course, where we have to start today is with the NFL. Tomorrow starts Wild Card Weekend. You know, I brought this up before. I'm looking forward to the football, the playoffs, everything that goes with it. But as an NFL fan, you also have to be at least a little bit depressed because you know if it's Wild Card Weekend, you've got 11 games left in the season. 11 games, that's all, until September. And I know football now with the draft and Free agency, there's more stuff going on in the offseason. And if you're a fan of a bad team like we have here uh, with the Jets and Giants, that sometimes is a more fascinating time than the actual season. But having just 11 games left until the until September, and the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, but there's really three big-time weekends left for the diehard football fans. That's all. And while yesterday there were no games... And you could certainly see their season come to an end. It wouldn't take that much of a a stretch of the imagination to see that. At home this weekend. Yesterday, if you wanted the biggest winner in the NFL yesterday, on a day where there were no games, it clearly would have to be the Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles? What are you you talking about? Well, the Eagles, as I said, are getting ready for a playoff game this weekend against the Seahawks. And all around them, in a year where they won the NFC East and had plenty of things go wrong along the way, they got to sit back yesterday and watch the rest of the division basically not be able to get out of their own way. You get the news late last night, the Cowboys are going to move on without Jason Garrett. Is there a weirder way to say fire than that? We are moving on without him. Conscious uncoupling. It's very weird we're moving on without – almost like you, you're ghosting him. You you had a road trip. You stopped for some gas. He went to the bathroom and you left without him. We're moving on without him. That is the slowest moving on I have. I think I've ever seen. Mountain ranges have been uh, created quicker than the decision that should have come by all accounts on Monday. <laughs> We're now on Friday. I know it's a bit of a weird week because we had off and yesterday was Thursday. It felt like a Monday – The actual Monday of this week is the day that you thought that that decision about Jason Garrett, but here they are having meeting after meeting. At some point, you got to pull the trigger. At some point, you have to know the decision. You just watched an entire season where if you're involved with the Cowboys in any way, the number one question is, all right, are they going to move on from Jason Garrett? And when you finish the season as they did, outside of the playoffs in a year where they had plenty of things going for them and had it right there in front of them with two weeks to go in the in the season. You have to know, all right, this is the decision that has to be made. You have the Redskins yesterday who actually have had a better off season because they found their coach quickly. They put him in place. But they have the press conference yesterday to introduce their coach and the owner gets up there and uh, starts by wishing everyone happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Okay, I know yesterday was a Thursday that felt like a Monday. I don't feel like it ever felt like Thanksgiving. That that did not I did not get that sense. And then you have the New York Giants, 
who apparently never learned the old adage that the best way to fix a problem is to admit that you have a problem. Or at the very least, stop making it worse. General Manager Dave Gettleman made the rounds after his press conference on Tuesday, which if there was any reason to not have him speaking outside of the on-field performance, it would be his performance on Tuesday. Like, I don't know who within the Giants organization said, all right, Tuesday went so well, let's make sure we get Dave out there doing the media rounds to try and explain this decision or that. Tuesday was pretty bad. It was so bad that we were still talking about it on Thursday. And then the powers that be decided it would be a good call to have Dave Gettleman continue talking, which doesn't seem like it was the right approach. Here's Dave Gettleman yesterday on the Michael K. Show. This is where I'm culpable, okay? I, I came into it, and I, I thought that we could do both at the same time, and I was wrong. Yeah, and look, I, I will grant you, and I said it yesterday, when your record is what Dave Gettleman's record is, there's no way you're talking your way out of it. At 9-23, and 23, you could be a master at arguing points and, and, and taking sides that don't seem traditional. And it doesn't matter how persuasive of a person you are. At 9-23, and 23, you're not going to be able to talk your way out of it. 16-16? and 16? Maybe. A better second year than a first year? Maybe. 9-23, and 23, fat chance. But Dave Gettleman made the stops yesterday, talked to the Michael K. Show. And I would say if you felt bad before, sometimes when you're going through a tough stretch, you're just kind of looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. You're just looking for the light underneath the door, right? The door's locked in front of you, and you're just looking for a little glimmer of hope. It really did not feel like you got that glimmer of hope yesterday. Now, my first takeaway was that I heard a lot of people saying that Dave Gettleman has now been humbled. That by listening to him on the K show and other places yesterday, that it's clear that he realizes that his approach was wrong and he's been humbled and that that will guide his approach moving forward. And if his approach was wrong before, you're hoping that the approach would at least be maybe not good, but at least better than it was. I did not get the sense that he had been humbled. I do not get the sense that he is going to change his approach all that much, if at all. And and if I had to pick a word for the way he approached yesterday's performance uh, and appearance on the Michael K. show, I would say it was much more that he was just guarded. I have friends who are lawyers, and I remember speaking to one one time about being interrogated. I love uh, anything about crime, true crime documentaries or anything like that. I see something on Netflix about crime. And, oh, I, I got to be uh, I, I got to check this out. And we were talking one time about being interrogated. And the lawyer said, well, the proper approach, first off, is not to say anything. But if you say anything, you don't. You only answer the question that is asked, right? You don't volunteer information. You don't feel pressure by the silence to fill in that silence with more words. Because the longer you talk, especially if you're guilty, not that I would ever be, but especially if you're guilty, the last thing you want to do is give any information that maybe the person who's interrogating you didn't already have. And the example given to me at the time was you're wearing a watch and someone's interrogating you. And the question they ask you is, do you have the time? 
The wrong answer is to say, yes, it's 315. No, the correct answer is, yes, I do. You only give the information. You only answer the question that is asked. And that was the approach that I felt like Gettleman used yesterday. Very guarded. And even with that guarded approach, I don't feel like things went well. Among the details we found out yesterday, one of the things that the Gettleman defenders have been giving him credit for has been finding Daniel Jones. By all accounts, even with the turnovers, even with the fumbles, you would have to say Daniel Jones' rookie season, at worst, if you were the hardest grade in the world, you would say just on his rookie season alone, his performance at worst would have to be a C plus, which based on rookie quarterback seasons is pretty good. But we found out yesterday that it wasn't really Dave Gettleman that discovered Daniel Jones as much as it was Pat Shermer. You remember Pat Shermer, the guy who did lose his job. We also found out that Gettleman's job was in jeopardy, or at least he felt like it was, but somehow he was able to convince ownership that he needed more time or that he was the right guy to lead the team out of the doldrums that they've been in, despite the fact now that in two separate days, right, Tuesday he has the season-ending press conference, and then yesterday, talking on the Michael K Show, I don't think that anybody outside of ownership, outside of the billionaires who run the Giants, would feel like Dave Gettleman's performance at either of those sittings was very good or made you feel better about his direction of the franchise. We also learned that, yeah, he still likes the Leonard Williams trade. An even smaller group of people that feel that way, right? Show me the people outside of maybe Leonard Williams and Dave Gettleman who still like that trade. And it wasn't like that that trade went over like gangbusters at the time. The approach there has been, the, the feeling about that trade has been pretty much the same the entire time. And, oh, yeah, was there another thing? Yeah, oh, yeah, there was another thing. He admitted that his entire approach since he has been here has been wrong. <laughs> now, I don't think that you necessarily needed him to say that. But the fact that he's willing, even in this guarded way that he approached questions, is a huge admission. His approach the first season was wrong. He approached it as win now. They were not. He made move after move through free agency, through the draft, through players he retained, through players he let walk away to win now. It did not work. And really, that first year probably, I remember, the only time that they had any success at all, the second half of that year, where they played a bunch of teams that had a bunch of backup quarterbacks. It's the only reason why they, they won even the, the games that they did. Their season probably was even worse than the record indicated. And then when he saw that his approach was wrong in the first year, right, of trying to win now, his second approach was to rebuild, but you could also win at the time. Not a surprise, that approach was also wrong. I thought we could do it. I thought we could do both at the same time. Uh, you know, I said it twice. I thought we could do both at the same time, and I was wrong. All right, so uh, that's a pretty loaded list. I mean, it wasn't like he filled in on the Michael K. show, right? It wasn't like he was in for the entire show yesterday. He was in for a segment. 
And that's a pretty long list for a guy who approached it from a very guarded position of information he gave you. And at this point, if you simply were to approach everything that Dave Gettleman has done, and I guess moving forward will do, if you simply took the approach of, I'm against it, at least up until this point, you'd be doing pretty well. Your batting average would make Rod Carew look like Rob Deere. I mean, your batting average would be high, a lot higher than Rod Carew's. And as if that was not bad enough, moving forward, right, the coaching search, Gettleman still leading the organization, you found out yesterday that even a guy who would have been a fit, you think, for as a head coach, who Gettleman has worked with in the past, and at least according to him, it seems like he has a pretty good relationship with or had, in Ron Rivera, he never was able to even get an interview with because Rivera was so gung-ho to take what you would have to say is probably, if not the worst job, one of the worst jobs in the NFL with the Washington Redskins. Boy, that is a full day. That is a full day and not a good day for Giant fans. But, of course, it's becoming pretty routine with Dave Gettleman running the team. There have not been many good days. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Our poll question is up for today. You know, look, I didn't want to go through the Giants again. We did the Giants yesterday, so we weren't going to focus on that in the poll question. The baseball is interesting to me, but it's not going to draw the numbers that we usually draw. And yesterday, we, I think we had 800 votes for the poll question, so we stayed away from that. So I looked at Wild Card Weekend and what's interesting in Wild Card Weekend. And I think one of the storylines that you have going in, and certainly if this team were to lose, I think it will be a far bigger storyline. But you get Titans-Patriots on uh, on Saturday night. That's the late game. That's the 8 o'clock game. It seems like every year in the playoffs, the Texans are that first Saturday game, and certainly the Patriots are a, a Saturday night game, 8 o'clock. You'll be sitting there and watching the Titans and the Patriots. And it feels like almost at this point, people are falling into all the same traps as every, almost every single year. And it feels like heading into Saturday that the Patriots are again being almost underrated and not even just underrated, being written off for dead. Now, if you ask me, hey, Gordon, do you think the Titans can go into to New England and win? I was watching the Titans over the last half of the year since Tannehill became the quarterback and the way their offense has functioned and all the stats that they've been able to put up and the way that the, the Patriots certainly seem like they limped to the finish line. I can understand why you might feel that way. But in this wonderful world of, of gambling and betting, and you can do it from your couch if you live in Jersey like I do, I'm sorry. I can, I am not, I bet sometimes with the, notion of how am I going to feel if this turns out wrong? Like, is the process that I'm thinking strong enough that even if I get this wrong, I'll be okay with it later? And I have to be honest, there's no set of scenarios that are going to take place that I would feel comfortable putting my money down on the Titans against the Patriots on the road in the play. I just can't do it. I've been there too many times. Too many times I thought, you know what? This team was playing a lot better than the Patriots coming down the stretch. I think this might be the time New England gets picked off at home. There's no way I can be sitting there, turn out to be wrong, and think to myself, you know what? I still feel good about taking the Titans 
in New England on a Saturday night against Belichick and Brady. Just can't do it. But that's not the poll question. Our poll question is, there's been a lot of speculation about the future of the Patriots, the future of Tom Brady after this season. So do you believe, which it seems like a lot of people think that the Patriots could very well lose. Like nobody is really thinking they're making the deep playoff run. And I don't think I do either that they've made here the last couple of years, obviously last year winning the Super Bowl. But been plenty of speculations on the future of Tom Brady. Do you believe that Saturday night will be Brady's final home game in Foxborough? Basically, do you think that this is going to be it for Brady and the Patriots? Which it seems like a lot of people do. I keep hearing speculation that, you know, at San Diego, Bart Scott, our new teammate here on 98.7 FM, our old teammate, our new team, Rebor, he feels like uh, that, uh, that, that San Diego would be the perfect place for Brady. Of course, he's from California. And if the, the Patriots decide to move on, that that's a place. I've heard that. Miami actually could be a place because of Brian Flores now being the head coach. And if the if the, the Dolphins are looking at a quarterback, maybe they decide to go that route. Although now with Chan Gailey, I don't think that that's really a, a fit there. But there seems to be a lot of attention being paid even while this season was going on. People kept bringing up, well, what's going to happen with Tom Brady after the season? And I felt like at the time, I said it. Can we get through this season first? I'm, I'm more focused on this season. Rather than season three of the TV show, I'm kind of focused on the season that I'm currently watching. So that's the poll question. Do you think that uh, Saturday night will be Brady's final home game in Foxborough? Either hell yes or heavens no. Well, it could certainly be his last game in Foxborough this year, right? Because they're the three seed. And, uh, you know, the fact that they don't have the bye this year means that uh, they're probably going to be, you know, going on the road here. Uh, and staying on the road for the remainder of the playoffs. That has not historically been a, a route that they have used to uh, go to the Super Bowl. So I think it certainly is going to be his final home game of this season. But do I think that they're going to turn the page after this year and move on to somebody other than Tom Brady? No, I do not. Once they decided to trade Jimmy Garoppolo like they did a couple of years ago, it just seems like it's very hard for me to believe that given the success, and I think the success will continue. Again, I think that the Patriots will win on Saturday. It's very hard for me to believe with all the success that they've had together that they won't, maybe they're going to have to have that tough conversation at some point, but I don't think that it's going to come after this season. Mainly because I don't see what great options they have to move on from, what, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. It doesn't seem like that uh, is really a fit. And I know that that's been a lot of speculation, so you can have your say on it on the poll question at Gordon Damer on Twitter. So, But, no, I don't believe that that to be the case. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number, 1-800-919-3776. So a couple other things football-related because all the coaching stuff is, is, is pretty fascinating. And I guess that – I don't know. Maybe it's not your New Year's resolution this year. But one of the things that I always like to try to focus on, even during the year – is always to be more thankful, right? That's something we should all be, is more thankful. Even for situations that may not be good, but still to to have that gratitude for the situation that you're in. And I think we can all say, with even just what has happened so far, thank God that we are all not Cleveland Brown fans. Because the stories are starting to leak out, and you kind of expected that they would eventually leak out. And oh my God, 
The stories are <laughs> just absolutely horrific. First, you had shortly after, well, before even before the season ended, you had reports of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry telling guys on other teams, hey, in the offseason, come and get me. Basically, come and rescue me from the Cleveland Browns. That was the first thing. Then the season ends, and you get the stories, I think it was in The Athletic, about Todd Munkin, who was serving as the uh, Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator, telling coaches, assistant coaches on other teams, what a disaster his team has been before games. Not like in casual conversations that you have talking to colleagues with other teams, I guess, over the course of the year. No, before games, hey, what's going on? Well, interesting you ask. The team that I'm currently being employed by is a dumpster fire. And I guess he was, uh, I guess he was also kind of saying, hey, come rescue me. <laughs> Get me the heck out of here. Then you have Jimmy Haslam, who was the owner of the Cleveland Browns, and by all accounts has been a disaster. So they're in the process of, of looking for a new head coach, looking for a direction now that they have uh, decided to make the changes that they had. John Dorsey out. Who knows who's going to be running the organization? So they're in the process of interviewing people. And here comes Jimmy Haslam yesterday to conduct a press conference. For what reason? I'm not exactly sure why. Again, much like Dave Gettleman, the first way of, of, of fixing the problem, at least stop making it worse. And I don't know what Jimmy Haslam, as the owner of the Cleveland Browns, thought that he was going to improve by having a press conference, but safe to assume it did not happen. Not a real surprise there given his track record. It did not happen. So there's been a lot of speculation that Urban Meyer could be a guy that the Cleveland Browns target. Okay, I can see that. But then Jimmy Haslam comes out yesterday during the press conference and says, no, we're looking for a coach with NFL experience. Well, Urban Meyer doesn't have any NFL coaching experience, head coaching experience. Then he comes out and says, well, we plan on hiring the coach first and then finding the GM. That the GM is going to control the roster. And even, even though they're going to get the coach first. And then both guys are going to report to him. Even taking out what we know about the Cleveland Browns, does anybody think that that would be a good way of setting up your organization? Even if you had an organization that was really well run, we're going to hire the coach first, then he's going to have a say in hiring the GM. The GM is going to have control of the roster. It's not going to be like a situation like Belichick, who he's not the GM per se, but He's he's making all the decisions on the roster. You know, the, the, the power flows through him, and, and rightfully so. So the GM's going to have control of the roster, even though we're going to hire him second. And then everybody's going to report to me. Out of all those steps, clearly the worst part of the process is everybody reporting to him. Because there's more than enough evidence that Jimmy Haslam has no idea what the hell he's doing. He might be a billionaire. He might be very successful in other endeavors. Clearly, he owns an NFL team. There's no better way to say, hey, look, I've been successful, wildly successful, than owning an NFL team. I always say about the Dolphins and Stephen Ross, real-life genius. 
NFL doofus because he can't get out of his own way. And Jimmy Haslam has been even worse. He has owned the team since 2012. This will be, that's not that long ago. This will be his fifth head coach. Their record in that span, in a league that is supposed to be about, right, you're bad one year, but you're not going to be generally bad forever. The way things are drawn up, teams that are bad one year, kind of surprise the next year, even if they don't make the playoffs, usually you're not bad, 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 bad. Well, I mean, maybe not here because of the Jets and Giants because they have been pretty much bad, bad, bad. But even given that, his record as owner is 28 and 83. I mean, holy hell, that is, at this point, he should just say, I, I know he's not going to do this, no one would, but clearly I don't know what I'm doing. The problem here is me. So for Urban Meyer, a name that I think would make some sense, right? A fresh approach, a guy who can clearly coach, even though he's not coached at the NFL level. He, 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 I mean, his record speaks for itself at a college level, and you would think that he would have some be able to transfer that success somewhat to the NFL if he gets the right opportunity. And it certainly the Cleveland Browns are a talented team. But I hope they don't hire Urban Meyer mainly for the sake of Urban Meyer. You think he had migraines before. Jimmy Haslam, if he was going to hold a press conference, should go into it and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get everybody on the same page. We're going to hire the GM. The GM, who through his experience, right, his track record, not some out-of-the-box hire, just hire somebody who actually knows what the hell they're doing. He's going to bring in a coach who also is not going to be out-of-the-box hire, clearly knows what he's doing. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay out of it because if there's anything in the NFL, maybe more so than any track record anywhere, even in New England, if you were to line up track records everywhere, good and bad, there's probably no track record that is more well-defined at this point than Jimmy Haslam running the Browns is an outright disaster. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. And then, of course, you have the Cowboys thing. As we mentioned at the top overnight, Cowboys, the report is they are moving on from Jason Garrett. I don't know how many more meetings they're going to have before they actually make that official. I would think probably five, right? You have five more meetings to finally make it clear to this guy. Without, It's almost like they're trying to tell him he's fired without using the word fired, like one of those games where you're not allowed to use certain words. What is that, bamboozle? I think that they have bamboozled uh, Jason Garrett. They are going to fire him, but not say fire, let go, relieved of duties or any of those things. And it's a very, a very strange situation. And look, is it possible that the Cowboys behind the scenes are working on something outside of what we know, right? They're going to pull this big surprise and it's going to seem like, hey, you know what? The reason why they were operating the way they were operating, they were doing it for a reason. Yeah, that's possible. But sometimes you just have to go with what's the more probable. And I think that it's more probable that Jerry Jones just doesn't want to fire Jason Garrett, even though all the evidence you would need is right there. And it should have been right there for Jerry Jones because he sat through this entire season and all the other seasons with Jason Garrett as the head coach. 
So is it possible that the Cowboys have this big move up their sleeve, Lincoln Riley or or some college coach? Yeah, maybe. But I think it's more probable that the Cowboys are just screwing it up. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. That's a person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, and get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. All right, so there's the former Bengals coach, Sam Weish, who passed away yesterday. Uh, 74 years old, coached uh, the Bengals from 84 to 91. Also uh, coached the uh, the Buccaneers, too, I believe. Uh, that was one of those speech. I don't. Really, I, I remember seeing that at the time. I didn't even know what the hell he was talking about, right? But like just the way he said, you don't live in Cleveland, you live in Cincinnati. It was a fantastic. And if I was a Bengal fan, thank God I'm not. I, well, I mean, they probably had more success here over the last uh, 30 years than the Dolphins have had. But uh, I think that uh, that's something I would have be putting up on a T-shirt and wearing every day. So um, condolences to uh, Sam Weish and his family. Just 74 was not uh, that old. Uh, so. Um, but uh, and came what was it thirty four or thirty five seconds away from winning that Super Bowl against the Niners that second the the back to back Super Bowl Niner team that beat the Bengals that year uh, Montana to 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 John Taylor on the on the touchdown pass I think it was thirty four or thirty five seconds that's how close they came to uh, winning a Super Bowl Hey it's ninety eight point seven ESPN Super Box Bonanza two we're giving away over ten thousand dollars in cash and prizes including a three thousand dollar grand prize. All you have to do is listen for your chance to win. All 100 boxes to February's big game will be given away during DPHO Canty and Rothenberg show from 10 to 1 and the Michael K show from 3 to 7 starting Monday, January 6th. Plus, we'll have 10 super boxes with even more great prizes. It's all brought to you by PC Richard and Son. Get ready for the big game with a new TV from PC Richard and Son. Oh, you got it there, Brian. Very nice. And you're home for football, 98.7 FM. ESPN New York. All right, a couple other things that I wanted to tackle here. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. 1-800-919-3776. couple things. Uh, a, a, headlines that I've seen. One about uh, Tua making his decision on, I guess it's Monday, Tua Tungabayaloa is uh, going to make his decision about whether or not he's going to enter the draft, the hip injury. He might go back to uh, Alabama for another year. And I've heard a lot of people Bring up what he should do. Go back to Alabama, get healthy, prove that you're healthy, and then go out into the draft next year. Maybe you're, who knows how things go, right? Maybe you're the number one pick. Maybe you're higher up that year than this year. Who knows where you'll go this year because of the hip injury. A lot of uncertainty there. I don't, it does seem like a lot of people think he will go back to Alabama. I think that that is a complete mistake. At worst, he is probably going to be the fifth pick in the draft. There's not that much difference. I mean, maybe there is money-wise, sure. But the chances of him moving up in a year from 5 to 1, when Trevor Lawrence clearly could come out a year from now, and other quarterbacks might come out a year from now, and just the uncertainty of the position, right? Like, I don't think coming into this year, anybody thought for sure that Joe Burrow was going to be almost certainly the number one pick. So who knows how things play out? And I think the thing that everybody's kind of forgetting about, yeah, that's all well and good if he stays healthy. There's no track record of Tua being able to stay healthy. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have some hip, hip injury again or something that significant again, 
but it's possible. If we're talking about track records, he's a guy who's been banged up a lot. And that's a reason why if I were an NFL team, even despite the fact that the guy is is, is clearly a, a special kid when he's healthy and, and, and is able to play, I would be staying away from him. When you're making a quarterback decision in the draft, it basically what you're deciding is, this is the especially in the first round, this is the guy I'm betting my career on. Am I willing? And if you're not willing to bet your career on a guy, if there's some red flag that you're like, you know what, I'm not willing to. Ri-. Well, sometimes the right answer is pass. Pass on the quarterback and put it off for another year. Yeah, it's a huge decision, but it's one that even more so than getting right, you can't afford to get wrong. There's no better way to ruin your franchise than to pick the wrong guy. And yeah, I guess every guy kind of has some red flag, some things that uh, you might not feel great about. But to me, health has to be the number one thing. And if Tua is getting hammered to the rate where he's always hurt behind the Alabama offensive line, if he's a top five pick, trust me, I'm telling you right now, if he goes to the Dolphins, their offensive line is not very good. He's better off staying at Alabama for just his health concerns. But I think that in terms of money and and the chance of re-injuring himself, he's probably better off going pro, even though, uh, for me, if I were a team, I'd probably be staying away from him. All right, so that's one thing. Second thing that I saw a headline uh, was uh, USA Today. Blame Jim Harbaugh for Michigan's woes. Is anybody blaming anybody else but Jim Harbaugh? Has there been some? Maybe I missed it. I'm not focused all that much on college. I'll grant you. But is there some other scapegoat that people have been blaming for for uh, for Michigan's woes? I feel like most of it has been, and rightfully so, has been on Jim Harbaugh. I don't know. I'd like to know the other list of culprits that everybody is blaming because it seems like almost exclusively, and again, rightfully so, most people are blaming Jim Harbaugh. I think we're already on that one, USA Today. Thank you for the clarification. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. Let's squeeze in a couple calls here before we uh, get to Debbie again. Here is Oswald in Jersey. Oswald, what's going on, my man? Uh, first, uh, the Tua uh, comment. Uh, Tua's like Tracy McGrady in the NFL. Uh, I, if the Dolphins get him, I'll be very disappointed. I'm a big Dolphins fan. Oh, okay, sorry, but, all right. Uh, well, look, I'll, I mean, it, be... if, the, if the decision is wrong, the Dolphins will probably do it. <laughs> but and uh, as far as Tom Brady, I feel uh, if Mariota and Josh Rosen is available, uh, Belichick should get him because Belichick has a winning record since being a Patriot with quarterback, and he could get any quarterback and turn him into uh, Tom Brady. Well, I, I don't Rosen. think that he can take any quarterback and make him Tom Brady. But can he take any quarterback and max? You know, the, the old line about Don Shula. And if you're a Dolphin fan, you I don't know how old you are, Oswald. But if you remember this line, the 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 they would use about him. Bum Phillips would use it about Don Shula all the time. About uh, he can take his and beat yours, and he can take yours and beat his. Uh, that's kind of the way. If you're going to use that phrase about anybody right now, you'd use it about uh, Bill Belichick, right? He can take basically uh, just about anybody. And maybe not make them into a great player, but certainly has a better track record of maximizing their abilities uh, more so. And, and and maybe it's just the limited sample size, right, from the one year that Tom Brady was out and was able to get from Matt Castle an 11-win year where Matt Castle actually looked like he was going to be a functioning NFL quarterback and then he went to was it Minnesota and, and wasn't the case. 
So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if they do decide to move on, like the the decision about like who do you give more credit to? That's that's always been one that's been uh, been mentioned before about who do you give more credit to? If I were picking one, even in their prime, I would still pick Bill Belichick over Tom Brady. And uh, I think that as long as the Patriots decide to stick with Bill Belichick, they'll st- always be far better than if they decide to ever move on. And uh, it doesn't seem like they would. But whether or not they move on from Brady after the year, I guess, kind of remains to be seen. I would think that if you were going to make that decision, you wouldn't have traded Jimmy Garoppolo when you did. So I don't think that – I mean, their their list of options, could they go out and, and sign somebody and bring somebody in? I guess it's possible. I just don't think it's very probable. Now back to the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. A couple things here before uh, we get to uh, more phone calls. 1-800-919-ESPN. 1-800-919. Have you been following? Is, is this something that people still follow? For me, it's. I, I always find it interesting, even though I, prom- I, I swear off it, especially after the uh, Harold Baines induction into the Hall of Fame. But I got to be honest, as a diehard baseball fan, I'm still kind of into tracking who's going to make the Hall of Fame this year. And I think that the ballots are all due and the announcement is the 21st or the 22nd of January. So it's coming up here basically like three weeks. And among the uh, ballots that have been publicly released, there's a guy, Ryan Thibodeau, on Twitter who kind of tracks them all and kind of projects who will get in. And his projections usually, especially at this point, I think he has uh, almost 30% of all the public ballots. They're usually a little high, right? Like you have to be tracking well ahead of 75% on his accounts generally to get the necessary 75%. So as of right now, he's got Jeter at 100% of the ballots publicly known, which we'll see if Jeter is going to become the second guy to get in unanimously after Mariano. Uh, Larry Walker is certainly trending in the right direction. I think Larry Walker is a guy who uh, belongs in the Hall of Fame after watching his career. And uh, it looks like that things are trending in that way. So he's at 85% of the public ballots. And then you have three very interesting cases that people uh, that are fans of, uh, of this have been following for a while. You have Kurt Schilling and then you have Bonds and Clemens. Bonds and Clemens are tracking right now at the 75%. Uh, Bonds slightly ahead of that. Clemens slightly below. Clemens is at 75% exactly. Bonds is at 78 point, uh, 75.8. As I said, you have to be tracking well above that generally. And I don't think that they are going to pick up many more votes than they did a year ago. It feels like at this point every single year it seems like they're trending in the right direction. And maybe they have picked up more votes now than they had in the past. But whether or not they get – I think that they'll probably end up where they have ended up here the last few years, around 65 percent. And whether or not they ever get in, still debatable. Kurt Schilling, on the other hand, seems like he's picking up more votes. He, he's certainly getting closer. And to put the personality or the outside stuff aside, to be clear, I, I think that Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer. I, I don't see how anybody – unless you want to include his personality and the things that he's done since his career has ended – and some of the the things that he has said, unless you want just if you're just looking at the numbers and you're being a fair judge for players who performance warrants Hall of Fame induction, Kurt, there's really not much of a case that you can make for Kurt Schilling not being in the Hall of Fame. But what you have seen here generally is guys trending in the right direction. And when they both came on the ballot, keep in mind, Kurt Schilling. And Mike Mussina 
were both around the same level. I think they both started out at about 30% on the ballots. And then over time, Mucina obviously trended in the right direction. And Schilling, I think based partly, again, on his personality, was trending in the wrong direction or, or was not n- picking up nearly the amount of votes that were necessary. Now, he's trending at 78. I said you have to be at least at, I think at this point, about 80, 85 percent to really be in line to be expected to uh, to get in. And I don't know what year this is on Schilling. Can you check on that, Brian, to see what year on the ballot he is? Because what you've seen here is guys, you know, trend in the right direction and then in that final year or two on the ballot, you get 10 years on the ballot. Usually you get, I don't want to say like a sympathy vote, but it's kind of like, okay, you know what? We, they've been kicking around here this long. He's close. There's a tendency to get some, some more votes in that final year that you hadn't been getting that entire time. I don't know if Kurt Schilling is the kind of personality based on what we know. I, th- I don't think that he's going to get that. I don't think that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt because of the comments that he has made and, and some of the things that he has done. Uh, even though I think clearly if you are just being a fair judge, right, if you're just looking at it and saying to yourself, is this guy's performance warranting of the Hall of Fame? I think I mean, I don't know what uh, debate you could possibly give for him not being a Hall of Famer. I mean, he was he was great in the regular season. He's one of the most uh, dominant strike throwers in the history of baseball control. He's one of the few pitchers. I, I might have been the last pitcher to have a season where he made more starts than walks issued. I think there was one year he had 35 starts and 32 walks or something like that. I mean, it, his performance is is clearly is his seventh year on the ballot. Okay, so he's still got a couple of years. It doesn't seem like he's on pace to, to get in this year. But whether or not he ever gets in, most guys, I think, not Bonds, not Clemens, not Schilling, but most guys like Larry Walker, if he comes up short this year, I'm sure by next year he will definitely get in. He's gotten to that level, right? I don't know necessarily that that's going to be the case for uh, for Schilling. The other thing that's always strange to me is that Bonds and Clemens trend at where they are. And and the reason they're not in is because of the you know the 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 suspicion the 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 allegations that they used and I think it's all I mean look at your eyes right use your eyes to look what does your eyes tell you yeah clearly those guys were using something and Bonds it's pretty clear what he was using right the whole Balco case he, he admitted that he was using stuff he just says that he didn't know that he was using stuff it's weird to me that those guys trend where they are and that Manny Ramirez gets half as many votes. Now, I get it. Manny got caught. He was actually suspended, whereas Clemens and Bonds never got caught per se. But boy, oh boy, that seems to be an awfully fine line to be saying, well, at least they didn't get caught. At least they didn't get caught. Manny got caught, so I'm going to... If you're looking, if you're looking at people, we all know that they used. It was a time where people used, and, and maybe they still do. But... It's a very weird one to me to say, well, those guys, they were good enough to not get caught, whereas Manny got caught, so I'm not going to vote for him. Because if you look at Manny Ramirez's numbers, I'm not going to tell you they're Barry Bonds' numbers, but they're not that far off. I mean, just based on numbers, go through and look at all the black ink on BaseballReference.com. Manny has plenty of it. Now, Bonds, he's the greatest player we will all ever see. We know why that is, but there's we will we could live to, as robots in the future in 2050 we could all shift into robots and live forever we will never see another player not a hitter anyway 
be better than Barry Bonds, unless they clone maybe Babe Ruth and bring him back somehow. All right, uh, a couple other things before, as I said, uh, I wanted to get to. Brody Van Wagenen. Yesterday, the Mets made it official with uh, Della Matances, and uh, I, I feel, I still feel, it doesn't feel right. I see him in that Met uniform. It does. I felt like this was all a joke. We're not really going to do this, are we? It hurts. It hurts to see. De- I love Be- Della Matances, and I really wish the Yankees would have brought him back. They did not. The thing about Brody Van Wagen, he came out yesterday and talked about how the Mets bullpen could be one of the best. And went back to the old well, right? Like last year it was come get us. We're the team to beat. They came and got you, and you got beat. And yet you would think, much like we were talking about Dave Gettleman in the opening of the show, about getting humbled, right? Like you, you do one thing, you say one thing, and then it turns out wrong. You would think that, okay, maybe I have to, to change my approach. Here's the thing about Brody. I'm not even saying that he has to change his approach. You're not going to get more credit by boasting. In fact... Given the track record of what you said last year and the way it turned out, I think most people are going to hear your comment and not give you more credit if you're right. They're going to doubt whether or not you're going to be right because the track record has been wrong. So I think that he would have been better off just saying, hey, Dellen Batanzas, and I, I think most people are on board thinking that the Dellen Batanzas move is a great move for the Mets. Solves the need. He's a high leverage guy. When right, when healthy. He's he's been a four time All Star. He's fantastic, but I don't I don't think I don't get what Brody Van Wagenen gets out of being boastful about the Mets' chances and the best bullpen. And all you're not going to get any more credit. The Domingo Herman thing, 81 games, so he now has to serve 63 this year. I was interested in that story because it was that severe, and I'm kind of fascinated that no other information. I mean, no other information came out about that case, but. Without having some information, it's kind of hard to know what what if baseball did it right, if baseball was doing it wrong, if it's just worried about public relations of, of taking a hit there. But the fact that Domingo Harmon agreed to it and is not going to try to to uh, to protest it means it's probably the right decision. So you move on, and you're not going to have uh, Domingo Harmon for the season. For a good portion of it anyway. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.